As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Front and Nationwide, the Athletics' dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. This is Aaron Portson of The Athletic, joined by Allison Lucan. Say hello. Hello. And Tom Reed in the Dirty Garage. Say it, Tom. Good day. Yes. Are you on a delay there, Tom? No, no, no. I just processed. Just processing. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, I guess you could say the, the Blue Jackets are processing. Uh, <laughs> A lot, and they've got some time to process here. Just a dreadful game in Tampa to be, Tampa Bay the other night, Saturday. Um, interesting for a while, and the boy, the floor fell out uh, late in the second, and in, in through the third, an eight to two loss. Um, it's very strange. I still think we're in a place with this team where the the losses tend to raise questions that wins never manage to answer with people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there totally. is, there's still a level of doubt with this team. And I don't know if it's all of the early struggles or the playoff flops or whatever. Uh, this is a tough one um, because it was so lopsided. They gave up four power play goals and now they've got uh, five days to chew on it. Uh, before they get to play again Thursday against the Philadelphia Flyers, I, it would be wrong probably to to talk to spend an entire show on the struggles that were Saturday in in Tampa Bay. Um, but there are there are some issues we've seen over five games now where it's just not clicking. And I think you can say on the defensive end, 
we, as if anybody doubted this, but Seth Jones is a unbelievable player and a huge loss when he's not in there. They've got some sort of, it's just sort of okay back there. I think Wierenski's game has struggled without Jones to his right. But even up front, I mean, Panarin has, has a decent set of points, but, but most of these guys individually aren't firing, and therefore the lines aren't firing. I mean, they still have some semblance of lines, but nothing's really going as they, they drew it up. The power play looked pretty good against Florida, scored a couple goals, didn't come through against Tampa Bay. The penalty kill was was rather atrocious against the Lightning. It just it feels like a mixed bag right now. And that last loss, of course, lingers um, in in the uh, in the mouth for a few days. Um, Tom, what do you see with this team? It, does this remind you of last year? The struggles early on with the team, the ups and the downs. They lost seven to two to Boston last year. It was a little later in the season. Anything that that worries you, anything that is as you expected it, and what do you make of this rather um, up-and-down start from the the local lads? Well, I'm going to go back to your very first point. I think it is the fact that, and we talk about this, Aaron, you and I have been talking about this for years, uh, there is just no reservoir of faith in uh, for different reasons. In years past, just because the team was lousy. Now the team has made the playoffs two years in a row. They've made it two times in the last four or five years. So I think it could be, to answer your question earlier, it's because they haven't done anything in the playoffs. So yeah. people tend to dwell on this. Like, oh, my God, if we can't do this right now, what are we going to be like? We might have to play Tampa Bay or Washington, right. Pittsburgh in the playoffs. So I think people kind of project that out. As far as being three and two or whatever they are, I mean, I mean they're missing one of their best players, one of their two or three best players. Seth Jones. It's 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 early in the season, like you said. There's no games here, so it, you tend to really focus on the negative. And of course, let's not get into the whole Bob Panarin thing. I think they're doing okay for for where they are right now. It's it's early in the year. They're all right. They the game the other night was a, just a weird game. They were right in it toward the end of the second period. Uh, they completely outplayed Tampa in the second period. One bad break at the end of the period with the uh, uh, puck hitting the seam of glass, and then the, the, the floor caves in just like it did in Boston. Move on. We'll see what they do next. Yeah, Allison. Just looking at this, I mean, they've, they're three and two. There's a lot of teams that would love to be three and two right now. <laughs> if you win three out of every five games in this league, you're a hell of a playoff team. Um, you're, you've got a really good standing at the end of the season. So we got to be careful here. That's probably a good thing that you can say they're over 500 and nothing looks good or nothing looks like it's supposed to look or it was expected to look. Is that how you see this? I mean, it's I think that first and foremost, you're absolutely right. If we look at the big picture, which is ultimately what matters is the body of work at the end of all this. um, It's not so bad. I think what is frustrating, perhaps for people is that the level of consistency isn't there one way or another, right? We talked about second periods being a struggle. And then except for the second period in Tampa, the other two periods were were quite rough. So th- there hasn't been a lot of consistency. There's not a lot of consistency in the particularly the bottom six right now. So you're not feeling like the lines are necessarily comfortable. And, and 
we're also, you know, while many teams would love to be three and two, we're also seeing some pretty dominant teams early, right? I mean, Carolina looks solid. Toronto looks crazy. So it's, I think there's that too. It's, it's, it is still, who is this team? Where is, where is the actual root of what this team is going to be more often than not? And, and because we don't know that yet, to Tom's point, we kind of err on the side of, Oh gosh, I don't know more so than they'll, they'll bring it around. We're just, it's, it's just not conditioned in, in the Blue Jacket base yet to, to think right. optimistically. Yeah. And going around the league, I'm not sure anybody's wired that way, even the great teams. <laughs> uh, uh, my really close friend is, is a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. And every time I talk to him, you'd, you'd oh, God, this, this Schultz thing is going to be huge. I just, yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't know how they get through this. I, I, this might be it. This might be it for them. <laughs> Right. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, what a minute. Wait, hang on a second. Uh, Caps fans who say, uh, you know, I'm just glad they won that one because, boy, it, it's good. I mean, I think we're going to we've got some long years ahead of them. So it probably is everywhere. Winning three out of every five games is a 98 point pace, by the way. They were 90 had 97 points last year. Um, I think it, it's almost like a coach where I don't know if they really mean this, but they say that they care more about how they're playing early in the season than the results. And so I think how they're playing is probably the stuff that keeps uh, Tortorella and his staff up late at night. The forwards are just kind of a mess right now. Like, um, I mean, Panarin, again, has been productive, but Dubois has not been great. Um, Atkinson has been said some moments, but I I don't think he would think he would say he's been great. The Dubinsky absence hurts them, which is crazy when this is a guy you thought about in the off season of would he be able to contribute at all? Um, but and, and Josh Anderson, who leads them in goals, I think is one of their few plus players, or at least significantly plus. He's the guy whose name pops up in in uh, trade request rumors <laughs> over the weekend. Right. Um, I mean, it just Sonny Milano is still Sonny Milano, where you just look and you wonder how this can work today, how this can ever work. Um, Bjorkstrand looks like Oliver Bjorkstrand did last year uh, early and maybe at times before that, where you just I don't know how this guy can survive in a top six or nine role outside of some flashes here or there. It just doesn't doesn't seem right up front and maybe that's just getting into regular games and figuring stuff out. But I, I do think there's a larger issue that Tortorella is frustrated by that this team keeps uh, losing itself and its identity between a team that's really, really hard to play against and a team that thinks that they can outskill people. And if it's one thing I've noticed the first five games is that when any little bit of frustration creeps in, you have a lot of individuals trying to do things uh, individually, and that I there's no way they're that good. Not this team. Maybe Panarin can make guys look silly, but you see times where Panarin's trying to take on three guys um, at the blue line, and it's just I don't care how good you are, that's not going to work in the NHL. Allison, do you see that as well? And, and if so, great. If not, what do you think is keeping these these lines from truly clicking? Yeah, it, I definitely, uh, particularly in the past couple games, have seen that kind of individual step up, and it, and it is 
when the frustration creeps in, which is it's the fact that that is the formula for how it happens, right? That is concerning is to that the composure a bit seems to be lost. Um, but you know, you look at these guys and it's, it's funny. It's, it, this is in a weird way, you know, everyone's down on their shooting percentage again this year compared to last year, it's, it's, oh. which is just odd. The only guys who are not, and again, we have weird fluky sample size issues here are Panarin, Josh Anderson, uh, Nick Felino, he of the two goal night, uh, and Bjorky's up as well. But everyone else is down. Everyone else is suffering in a lot of the other underlying measures. The only person who is green or positive across the board is Josh Anderson, to your point. <laughs> so um, it, it's it's interesting. And I think it's, it's interesting to me because, that they do fall back on individual play because I've been saying since this summer – that this was perhaps one of the most talented forward groups this organization has had. And so I really expected to see a lot of offensive depth produce. And it, instead, I feel like we're still in kind of a figure out phase, which is, is not what I saw coming. Yeah. Tom, what do you, what do you see from this crew up front? I just, again, I, I, I hate to, to be evasive. It's five games. I think last year, if I remember correctly, Allison, you're, you can dig this up. You probably have this. What were, didn't they get off to a really good start record-wise, and everyone was complaining? They were all miserable because they weren't playing well, and they were like 7-2 and two or something. I, mean, I, just, I guess I just can't get too worked up about this. Yeah. And, I, and I, the one thing that there's an issue here, if they really think that they're better, then I mean, what makes them think that they're that great? What have they won? They, they shouldn't be feeling that way. No one should be feeling that way about them. They've got a lot to prove. They're in the toughest division in the NHL. And I, I just think it's very early in the season. And there's really, to me, there's nothing, no trends that have really been set yet. Yeah. Uh, but I'm pretty sure they started really quickly last year. And I just remember talking how everybody was miserable. They were they seven, and, seven and three in their first ten games. And they, everyone, Tortorella was miserable. I don't like the way we're playing. You know, we're whatever. It's it's. Let's talk to us when we're in November or at least December, and then we can like have a, a better feel. I know that. I know that doesn't help the two shows a week type of thing. <laughs> Maybe I need to get in that mode and say, oh my God, things don't look good. I just can't get too worked up about how their 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 forward lines are playing right now. If if they start to lose a bunch of games, then I'll say yeah. Things have got to change. But right now, it's early in the year. They're off to a decent start. They just come off a dog shit game, and those are going to happen over the course of a 82-game se- season. Tom, read the voice of reason here. I admire that. Um, it, it's funny. If you look, too, at those those first 10 games, because if we remember, last year was, was the year of the extra time, right? We went to overtime yeah. and shootouts how many times? And in the first three games, the Jackets blew out the Islanders, but then they were blown out literally the next night by Chicago five to yeah. one. Right? right. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't smooth sailing back then either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember last year, it's, it's a totally different argument too. Why the hell did Corpus start in Chicago? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. yes. And now it's why the hell did Sergey start in Tampa? Um, anyways. Yeah. Uh, when I wrote a, a piece for, uh, posted late last night and uh, early today about Zach Wierenski and and uh, switching here to the backs to the uh, to the defense. 
And John Tortorella saying in the summertime that he last season started to lean on Orensky hard. And that's when, and this has been talked about a lot, where Seth Jones went to Tortorella and said, you know what? He's really banged up. His shoulder's worse than you realize. Let me handle him from here. And so the dogs were kind of, no pun intended, were kind of called off um, there and, and a bit of a reprieve. But then Tortorella this summer saying, no, I, we're, going to, we're going to demand more out of Wierenski defensively than we have so far. And I, I think if you've watched him, it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the glare of his skill and his offense and his, just his instincts up front are, are tremendous. Um, but you can't help also but recognize there are times when he goes back for pucks where it's nonchalant where um, it almost feels like he acquiesces to to players that are hungrier for the puck than he is. He royally botched a two-on-one oh. um, where, you know, the oldest rule in the book is you take away the pass. So in other words, yeah. you, you, you cover and you, you angle yourself so that the pass can't be made on a two-on-one uh, from the puck carrier, and you let the goalie handle the puck carrier. And failing that, you carry the you you cover the puck handler. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna screw it up, at least pick the wrong one. But you can't do what he did, which was simply neither of them. And that was the game, just to reference. That was the first goal in Florida. Florida, yes, right. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, because then essentially that's a two on zero, yeah. and you're just you're just getting in the way of the goalie. Not a, so I mean that kind of stuff. By year three, that stuff should be cleaned out of your game. Um, I, I woman thinking Tortorella's had, um, more than enough. So he's, he is starting to lean on him more and, and, and positive sign is that Wierenski says, yes, I need this. I want this. This is where I need to go. Um, but I, I think a big part of this too, is the fact that Seth Jones, who is a security blanket for Wierenski, but really the entire team is not out there right now to protect. So people are more vulnerable uh, than they have been before. Is that is that what you guys are saying? And how concerned are you about Wierenski being able to to be a well-rounded, all-around uh, defenseman as opposed to what he is now? Allison, you want to take that one first? Yeah, I mean, and it was funny. Was it? I can't remember if it was yesterday or today, but Tort said, I'm not going to talk about players, but then described that two-on-one situation right. almost step-by-step. Step. Um, right. But... Uh, you know, I think I think that Torts is correct in his assessment that Wierenski needs to get stronger defensively with where he's playing right now without Seth Jones. The flip of that is that part of what makes Seth and Zach so good is that they don't necessarily have to be as strong defensively because they're just so good offensively, right? They're always getting the puck. They're always pushing it up the other way. You know, they're the guys who lead in all of the offensive measures sometimes in terms of the entire team, in terms of puck control. So is he ultimately going to have to be the best defensive defenseman in the, in the league? I don't think so. Um, this is the age-old argument I keep bringing up, which is what makes a good defenseman a good defenseman. Um, but he, he can be stronger. That two-on-one, I think, was the most glaring example, particularly because he's paired with a guy who loves to play the two-on-ones, David Savard, yeah. right? So right. It, it's just not... 
it's not perhaps in his makeup of what he, of what he is as a player. And when I say that about Wierenski, and I think that's okay. I just think it is something that needs to get stronger, but I don't think he needs to be the next David Savard either. He just needs some strength and he needs Seth Jones back for sure. <laughs> uh, the, the game has changed. Uh, I think, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you looked at when we when we measured when we looked at great defensemen, a lot of them, not all of them, but back in the days where everyone was scoring fifty goals and you know defensemen were scoring thirty goals, you had guys like Sandus Ozilich, guys like Paul Coffey. Yep. You go through the list that just they were offensive defensemen. Look, you know, well, I'll help you out in the playoffs as much as I can, but this is not really what I'm doing. You know, I'm here to score goals. I'm here to help out. Sandus Ozilich was a rover before the term even was around. I mean, he was helping both teams out with the way he played. Yeah. The defenseman, I, I guess I would start with like Nick Lidstrom. Nick Lidstrom, people talk about his offense. He's a terrific all-around player, right? I mean, Eric Carlson, terrific all-around player, does not get nearly enough credit for the way that he stick checks and is positionally strong. And then, you know, we're just talking about Seth Jones. He just does it all. I think the to me, more and more – of the really good defensemen in this league are guys that can play both ends. And I think I'm sure Zach realizes that. And I, and yeah. you, you hope that that it's, it's like you said, 40, it's good that it, it, uh, it recognizes it. And I thought sure, that he brought up the point and you mentioned it, amplified it in the story. When he played, when he played in college, he was always the best offensive player. So he always had the puck. Yeah. So, I mean, now at this level, this is the highest level that you can go. It's not always going to be that case. It's you're going to have to somehow def- sometimes defend. Last year was this weird thing with the injury and everything, but yeah, he's going to have to learn to do that. And there's going to be times like right now. There's going to be injuries that are going to sometimes have to force him uh, to, to play more of a defensive game. But I just think that today's NHL defensemen, the majority of them that are good, play both ends. Drew Doughty's another yeah. example. Yeah. And towards his point, he was pretty clear about this too. It's really not even about learning. It's not the finer points. It's not the angling. It's not the. It's competing. It, like it, it almost. He makes it sound like it's almost a a a, a um, switch to flip. That the the kid hasn't um, just doesn't have the passion defensively uh, to stick his nose in there. Now, you're not. You're not turning. You're not trying to turn him into David Cigar Savard. Um, you still want him to be the kind of player he is. I, I just, just, I think they want a little bit more back there. I just I go back. I'm just going to go back to the same example. When's the last time you saw Eric Carlson blow anybody up? Oh, I'm talking about blowing up. But I've been just saying that Eric Carlson plays the game. That, that yeah. to me, they're similar type of body types, good For skaters. Sure. Eric Carlson's just, you know, he's he gets in the gets in the way. He he plays two on ones really well. And in fact, again, in fairness, that was one where Savard wasn't even on the ice in the two-on-one that we're talking about. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah I, I think it is just, yeah, I think to, to, towards this point, competing, I think it's just hustling, right? It's like the old completion yeah. in basketball. Anyone can play defense, but a lot of guys choose not to. They, just don't, they don't want to be bothered with it. Yeah. And this situation, and I'm not saying that, he, that Zach isn't hustling, but a lot of it is just being in the right place and doing the right things. And I don't think Zach is ever going to just be pounding people in the corner or just hammering people in front of the net. Uh, that's just not his game. Right. But there is more that can be done within his 
his ability, size, structure, whatever. Sure. For growth, and I do think, again, I'm going to go back to the same point. You look at some of the best defensemen, most of the best defensemen, they play both ends of the ice. He's going to have to learn that. Yeah, I, th- I think I can recall seeing Carlson more competitive in one-on-one battles. Not clearing net fronts, not the old-school lumberjack type stuff. Effort. effort. Yeah, that's just not who these guys are. But getting in the way, competing, not just not just signing off on 50-50s, but actually actually battling in there. I think it's I think it is and Torch didn't go this far, but I I don't think it's a stretch to say he wants the kid to start doing some dirty work too. And not not just being the the guy, the designated hitter um, that skates with the puck and waits for somebody else to get it back. I think he wants more of him on that end. That's, that's, that's absolutely fair. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think the fact that the kid's responding to it is a really good sign. He's not saying, Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's not what I do. I don't know what, I don't know what he, the old man's saying, but that's not what I do. He's, he's not yeah. saying it at all. I don't think that's ever an issue with him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so the Blue Jackets play Thursday, Philadelphia, then Saturday, Chicago, right? Yes. You know, this this could just be, like, they've played more games than, than other teams. I just wonder if this sort of sputtering here at the start is they just need games. Just start playing yeah. games Yeah. Um, and get get rolling with the games here. So maybe it'll awaken with that. Um, they They – intentionally changed their penalty. Well, I shouldn't say intentionally. Of course it was intentional, but they dramatically changed their penalty kill this off season uh, with the idea of being way too aggressive, uh, being way up in front of con- and confronting people and challenging the puck. And it almost felt like to me on Saturday that they got caught, um, exposed themselves by being too far up the ice. The PK did leaving a huge gap. Uh, the forwards between the defensemen. And Tortorella um, hinted today that there could be changes to the penalty kill unit. I asked, uh, apparently inappropriately, (laughs) um, if that meant lineup changes or just penalty kill changes. Um, Because I'm wondering if if Hannah Kynan, who is regarded as a good penalty killer, somehow comes into the lineup, uh, perhaps for Milano, I don't know. I don't know what you do here because there's there aren't many options really. You've got all four of your centermen in. Maybe you go Hanekinen in for Milano and hope hope he helps with the penalty killing. Um, Allison, you study this stuff um, at a granular level. When you look at that PK, do you just say, "Well, you know, it's Saturday was a bleep show." Uh, other than that, it hasn't been that awful. Or do you go, "Oh, they're still trying to figure this thing out." I mean, now I'm going to put on my my Tom hat here and say, yeah. you know, Saturday was a shit show. I mean, it just was. And, nice. and the the but again with my Tom hat, I, I I'm not going to start screaming for people to dive off a cliff on this one. I mean, there were times when I looked at who they had to have out there because of injuries. They're without Dubinsky. Right. They're you know. And I was just like, this, this is just, this is, there's a little bit of a patchwork element to this. Um, and it was funny after Torts was done, you know, my take again in the light of Saturday was, oh, he's just going to change the personnel on the PK. And I, you know, and you were like, well, maybe it's going to be something bigger. And I was like, oh, maybe, but, um, 
I, I think Scott Harrington has the most PK minutes per game at the moment. And, you know, that's no offense to Scott Harrington, but I think we need to see some different guys out there playing in that role. And, and I think another thing that, uh, that would be nice to see is get our, get our Lucas Sedlak back of old, right? You know, he's, he's he's getting some PK time. I think his, his confidence took a hit um, with being scratched this season, seeing the addition of Riley Nash, you know, ending last year with an injury, but, but, and Torts has said as much, if he can get Sedlak back on his game, if he's in there on that PK, I think that's, that's better for the team than, than what we saw Saturday. I'm, I'm not so worried about that side of special teams yet. Yeah. The weird thing is they stick Sedlak between um, two guys that can skate and uh, are like offensive guys, Bjorkstrand and Milano, and then go, geez, well, that line just doesn't look very good. <laughs> you know, you've got to check between, you've got a plumber between two artists, right? And you're wondering why it's not going. There. It just feels to me like the fourth line's back to being a holding tank. Well, but um, here's, but look at, look at, what line was so productive last year? It was Vanek, Boone Jenner, and Alexander Wenberg. Who thought that line was going to do it? Well, that was the last six weeks of the season, yeah. Sure, but, I mean, when those three started together, I was like, oh, this isn't going to last long at all. And that line was prolific. So yeah. who's who's to say? Again, I think, you know, I we were commenting when, when Sedlak first drew back into the lineup. He was, you know, his commentary was very much, I'm just going to try and stay out of those guys' way. And I get that swagger back, Sedzi. I mean, Right. You're on an NHL team. Play play to the li- level that you know you can. I think he played with those guys. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but they're the same guys. I think he played with them in the minors as well. At least Milan. Correct. Yeah. And Bjorky, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so wrote a piece Sunday about uh, Corpusalo and Bobrovsky, and it's really interesting to me. Uh, management says uh, here is why Corpusala is playing more games because Manny Legacy, the new goaltending coach, has determined um, that a lesser workload will be better for Bob. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. All right. I'll I'll, I'll consider that. And then Tort says, "Oh no, 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 no. We're uh, we got to figure out what we got in Corpy because who the hell knows what's happening with Bob?" And that theory is blown out the water. So is this? The Blue Jackets trying to curl back Bob's workload? Or is this the Blue Jackets seeing what life after Corpusalo looks like? After Bobrovsky. After Bobrovsky. Yeah, sorry. After Life after Bobrovsky looks like. I'm getting five years ahead of myself here. Um, we can say this. If Bobrovsky somehow gets signed by the Blue Jackets, Corpusalo is probably traded. If Bobrovsky does not get signed and leaves. He's either traded or leaves at the end of the season. Corpusalo is your number one goaltender next year. I know people are saying, whoa, whoa, what about Elvis Merzlikens? Um, he could be eventually the number one. I don't think a playoff team uh, gives the keys to the car to a guy who hasn't played North America. Um, I don't think they hold him back at all, but I don't think they, they let everything hinge upon him. So this is a pivotal year for him. I think we may have done this practice, this this uh, drill before, maybe podcast three or four. How many games do you think Corpusalo plays this year? I think it's over thirty now. Uh, this is this is if healthy. I think if everyone's healthy, I think Corpy gets thirty games minimum, maybe thirty-four. I think that's how interested they are in seeing 
him play regularly to the point where I don't know who plays Thursday. I don't know who plays Saturday. I think it may go back and forth for a while. Um, and I'm wondering what you guys are thinking and if the first couple weeks of the season have changed uh, your tune on, on the outlook for those, for those two. Tom, you want to take that one? Uh, I would tell you that if uh, Sergei Bobrovsky starts to find his form, and again, we haven't played any games, so nobody really has a form yet. I'd say if Sergei Bobrovsky starts winning games and starts looking like the Sergei Bobrovsky we've seen in recent years, he's going to play a lot. I, don't, I mean, <laughs> their, first, their first idea is they want to make the playoffs. And if Bob, if Bob is on his game, I think I'll stick with my 25 games for Corfi. Um, you know, if he doesn't, if he, can, if he does, if the struggle continues, then that, that's where I could see Corfi playing more and more, uh, getting more opportunities, because he's played relatively well to start the season. But I think if, if Bob does start to find his game, then I think, it, it, then again, coaches are creatures of habit. Uh, they're going to just give Bob the nets as long as he's winning, uh, I think once he gets going, uh, and again, I just think it's so early it's, but it's a, obviously a fascinating topic and one I completely understand why we continue to talk about. No question. Allison. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with between 25 and 30. That's where I think Corpy falls. I, I do think both schools of thought, Torts's and Manny legacies can in fact be true here. I mean, this is something that, if folks were paying attention to Tampa Bay last year, you know, it was Vasilevsky who came out and said, I'm tired. Right. So yeah. th- there is a, there is a school of thought of, of finding the proper workload for a goaltender. We saw this in Edmonton. I think it was last year where he just got played to death. So, you know, it's, I do think that there is validity in looking at what the right number is for Bob. And I do think that the organization is smart to see how Corpy performs with an intentionally larger workload. Yeah. I, um, it in, I think if we can say this, that it's not entirely Bob's call anymore, like yeah. pretty much Bob made the schedule. And I, I, I get the sense that that's not, it's not being done that way anymore. The other thing I, that I'm interested to see here as this moves along is Bob every year has had this stretches where he, and I think Yarmo referenced this the other day where he takes time off to sort of get himself back uh, into his own little groove, which probably nobody else in the world would fully comprehend if he tried to explain it to you. Um, I wonder what the fix is going to look like with Ian Clark no longer here mm-hmm. and a new goaltending coach. Like I wonder if, if it's, if it's fixed as quickly um as it has been in years past. And that's something that I'm interested to see. So many legacies helping them pick the goaltending schedule. And it looks like it's going to be a little bit more of a split, probably heavy Bob, if Bob gets going, but I, I still think we're going to see more Corpy than most people at this point expect. Uh, anything else you, you folks want to chat about here before we wrap up? Is this 14? This is 14. Oh, wow. Okay. What do you got? Anything? Nothing. Wow. Tom, Tom. are you still there? Oh, I'm just I'm just here for the here along for the ride. How's the uh, dirty clutch, Tom? 
No, it's wonderful. It's just, it's absolutely magnificent. It's got to be brisk right now. Perfect. It's yeah. Perfect day in the garage. Well, tell Simon thanks for no yapping. Was that English? What did you just say? I said, tell Simon thanks for no yapping. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, he made it through. He- good boy. Good boy. Who's a good boy? Um, so for Allison Lucan and Tom Reed, Aaron Portstein here with The Athletic saying thanks for listening to Front End Nationwide. Uh, we'll be back at you on Friday. I believe the trial is uh, the the great offer from above is still uh, legitimate and yours if you're interested. Front and Nationwide. So theathletic.com slash front and nationwide. That's a seven-day trial and a significant cut of the subscription. And I think that should do it. We'll talk to you on Friday morning after the Flyers game. We'll have uh, more to report then. Thanks for listening, everybody.